Mark's account of uh, the crucifixion. We'll get to that in a few moments. My goal is to read that slowly. Hopefully, allow the Holy Spirit to let the word sink into our hearts as we do. Before we do, I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, if you would, please. Uh, this is so important. I'm going to invite you to join me in really a one-sentence prayer. Uh, it's a prayer that God's Spirit takes very seriously. And so I'll tell you the prayer ahead of time. I'd like to ask you to pray to God, God, would you speak to me personally through your word this evening? And I'll tell you, that's an important prayer to God. God, would you speak to me personally through your word this evening? Just pray that if you have the courage to. <laughs> Father, that is my prayer. The busy days and some have family coming in and places to go and food to prepare and all the things that lie in front of us on the weekend when we celebrate your son's resurrection. But for the next few moments, Father, would you just take away from our hearts and minds anything that would compete with your Holy Spirit and help us to listen to your word. And Father, during that time, would you take what only you can do and take one simple message and customize it to each heart in this room. And would you speak to each one of us the words that we need to hear at this moment in our journey? And we thank you for that ahead of time in Christ's name. Amen. Before we look at Mark chapter 15, I want to just do a little background that led up to this with some other Gospels. We'll start in John 14 and what's called the Upper Room Discourse. I'll just talk to you about that for a moment. Where that discourse really begins in Luke 22 when Jesus says to his close followers, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. In other words, guys, it's about to get rough. <laughs> it's going to be a pretty rough week. And I've looked forward to this time with you before the events of the crucifixion begin to unfold. And as they have that Passover meal, he does something that we do often, but they'd never done before. He takes something they're very familiar with, Passover, and connects something that they knew nothing about. We call it the Lord's Supper or Communion. And they'd never experienced anything like that before. Now, we understand that. We do it all the time. I think we did it last week. But they'd never done anything like that before. In the midst of the Passover, he says, and you read this, I'm sure, last week in Mark 14, he says, take this bread, eat this, my body. They'd never done anything like that before. He says, take this and drink this as my blood which is shed for you and makes a promise, I'll no longer drink that too, I drink that new with you in the kingdom of God. And then the events of the crucifixion would unfold. That was new things for them. In time, they would understand the significance and how the two were connected. In 1 Corinthians 11, as Paul talks about that time in Christ's life, Paul tells us something that Jesus said that Mark didn't, but if Paul said, Jesus said it, Jesus said it. And Paul records for us that Jesus said, do this often, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. In other words, this, is more to be, this would be more than a one-time event in your life. 
This to be a continual part of your spiritual journey, and we see that in the church at Corinth and so forth. And so here is the most important line to me of the evening. This is where the heart of the message is at. As we connect what happened, what we're about to read. Jesus did not simply ask us to remember that he died. He wants us to remember the details of his death. How he died. Not just that he died. He wants us to remember how he died. The passage we're about to read is just of critical importance to God. It matters to him that we read it, and we read it often. And I found in my spiritual journey, I began to gloss over crucifixion passages. I began to read the Gospels, get to the crucifixion, and I've read that. And that's the part Jesus says, no, that's the part I want you to read. I want you to read that often. Because it just was to remind you that I died, it reminds you of how I died. And to be honest, how brutally painful it was. I don't know about you, but for years, I had a very cleaned up view of Calvary. A man with a cloth and around his waist and some blood in his hands and feet. And I found that Scripture really challenges that aesthetically cleaned up view. As I read about a crown of thorns, as we'll read about Christ being beaten with a reed upon his head and other parts of his body, as we will read about him being slapped and and scourged and the nails and, as the song says, the old rugged cross, it's pretty intense. Isaiah... In Isaiah 52, thinking, speaking about Christ through prophetic eyes, said this about him as he looked prophetically to the crucifixion. He says in verse 14, his appearance was so marred, he was beyond human resemblance. His form was beyond that of the children of men. I, I sense Isaiah saying, if we didn't know it was him, we'd not recognize him. The word marred gives the idea of being disfigured. You cannot place the found, uh, a crown of thorns on a body. You can't scourge a body. You can't brutalize a body like that and there not be an abundance of blood. It's not a stretch of the Scripture to realize that Christ hung on the cross a bloody, brutally beaten mess. But Christ says, those are the details I want you to remember. Not just that I died, Christ would say. He says, I want you to remember the manner, the details the brutality, the gruesome manner, Christ would say, in which I died for you. 
So the passage we're about to read really matters to God. We're going to read it slowly. I plan on making two stops along the journey to make some comments. And then we'll tie this together. Mark 15. I believe it's on the screen. It's okay if you just want to listen to the word of God. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. They had called together a whole battalion. And they clothed him with a purple cloak. Matthew tells us before they clothed him, they stripped him of his clothing. Matthew and John says that he was scourged, which in itself is brutally painful, bloody, and intense. Mark goes on. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they begin to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means a place of skull, of a skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, and he did not take it. Verse 24. And they crucified him just four words. And they crucified him. And divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each one should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right hand and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, you who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him reviled him. Let's stop for a moment. Just for the record, he could have came down from the cross. 
just for the record, he could have stopped this anytime he wanted to. Obviously, he loves us, and he chose not to. It's not like he needs anything from us, amen? He's God. He's the all-sufficient, self-sufficient one. He wants relationship with us. He doesn't need it. He wants fellowship with us, but he doesn't need fellowship with us. He is God. He could have come down and called this off anytime he wanted to. We're the ones who had everything to gain by him not doing that. There's a time when Jesus made the observation, no one takes my life. Translation, I volunteered for this. I love it, John 18, they come to arrest Christ. The Bible says they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus says to this crowd, who are you seeking? They go, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And the Bible says that when he said that, they drew back and they fell to the ground. Then he asked them a second time, you ever said to your child, you want to say that differently? (laughs) That's what I sense here. Hey, guys, let's try this again. Whom are you seeking? Do you think their tone may have changed the second time? As they wipe the dust off their pants, Jesus of Nazareth, sir. In other words, if I don't want you to arrest me, I'm not going to be arrested. I'm only going with you if I choose to. On the heels of this, Peter, a fisherman who for some reason is carrying a sword, which makes no sense to me, whacks off a person's ear. And Christ puts it back on. He says this, do you not think that I could not now, right now pray to the Father and he would give me more than 12 legions of angels? Let me put that in perspective. In 2 Kings 19, Israel's fighting the Assyrians. And in one night, one angel of God kills 185,000 Assyrians. One angel. Because I'm bored, I did some math. If I slept eight hours, that's 23,000 an hour, 385 every second. Christ says, guys, I've got the firepower. I'm not going to be arrested unless I want to. I'm not going to go unless I want to. I'm not going to hang on a cross unless I choose to. But he chose to. And if he did come down, they would have not believed him. And you and I would be lost without hope, without God, and destined for eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. And the next verse tells us why he didn't come down. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. The ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Samathabathani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Bible scholars will debate till Jesus comes, and then it won't matter if he is truly separate from God or not. I don't know. But this I know. He felt abandoned. He felt separated. These that words that he spoke are not words from a script. These are words that express genuine feeling. That at this moment he understands what it feels like to be separated from God, to be abandoned by God, to be alienated from God. He now knows what that feels like. This message will end encouraging, I can assure you. But the next two minutes, let's become uncomfortable together. Let's talk about the weight of sin. You see an example of the weight of sin in Peter's life. You know the story. He denies the Lord three times. The rooster crows. And then one gospel account says that at that moment, Jesus looked at Peter. Oh, man. And the Bible says Peter went out and he wept bitterly. You ever felt that way? You ever make a decision that's so bad? God, I can't believe I did that. I promised you I wouldn't. I didn't think I was capable of making a decision that bad, but I did. If this thing runs its course, it could do so much damage in my life and the people I love, and there's that, that crushing weight of guilt. Anybody relate to this? Now, we feel that, right, because we're guilty. But Jesus wasn't. But at that moment, he felt the weight of the sins of all of mankind. Isaiah says he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And at that moment, Christ feels the weight of all of the sins of all of mankind. And under that weight, he understands what it feels like to be detached from God. And he did that so that you and I would not have to. Mark goes on to say, and some of the bystanders, hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge and sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. That is so brutal. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. I love that last verse. 
Because somewhere in the centurion's heart, it clicked, right? It's like, this really was God's son. That's how it works. It might work that way in your life tonight. I started going to church when I was 14 because I was bored. And the family took me in. They went to church a lot. They took me with them. And I began to hear this gospel story that God was perfect and holy and sinless. And I wasn't, which even at 14, I couldn't argue with that, <laughs> that I'd sinned. And that it separated me in my relationship with God. And on my own, I couldn't restore that relationship. I heard that story. I heard that Christ came and lived a sinless life. And he died upon Calvary. Was, I'd heard that and I heard that. And then one time, a point in my life when I was 15 on March 1st, it just clicked. It came together. Oh, yeah, he did that for me. And that was a Monday. That was a good Monday in my life. And I acknowledge Christ as my Savior and Lord. It just all came together. And that could happen in your life tonight. You may have heard the gospel story for years. And then tonight, I said, no, yeah, I get it. He did that for me. I, I, yeah. Man, I acknowledge Christ. I accept Christ. Whatever term you want to use, it's your heart that matters most. And if for some reason that happens in your life tonight, then afterwards... I want to hear about it. <laughs> so I love what happens in his life because that's what happened in my life. And tonight, that may be what happens in your life. But most of us have done that. So let's talk about Good Friday. Jesus not only wants us to remember on a regular basis that he died, He wants us to remember on a regular basis the details of his death. The crown, the beating, the spitting, the scourging, the blood, the battered body, the mocking. The public display as a sign of a person being so evil that they deserved to die a death in which there was no dignity or honor. That was the purpose of crucifixion. This person is so evil, they deserve no dignity and no honor in their death. They're to be shamed beyond shame. Christ says, uh, I want you to remember that. Well, there's a lot of reasons why and a lot of really good emotions flood our heart when we think of why he did that. But I, I like 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He goes, do you not know that you speaking to us as followers, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and I love the rest of this. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. I like 
the New King James that says you were bought at a price. And, and may I say, it was quite a price. It was an outrageous, over-the-top price. And it wasn't a price that God tried to negotiate down. We weren't at the bargain basement, right? He saw this ridiculous price tag attached to us. Attached to us. And God, my Father, said, all right, I'll pay that. Christ said that I will volunteer and come to do so. Listen to the word of God. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. He, Christ, entered once and for all into the holy place. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of an heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 1 Peter 1, 18. Noah, you are not ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb slain without blemish or spot. Revelation, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, speaking of Christ, to open the seals, for you, you were slain, and you redeemed us to God by your blood. And of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you've made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. We have some very good friends called the Medinas. And every year we take each other out for their anniversary. So years ago, they took us to Irvine to a restaurant for our anniversary. And we got there early because I am a man, and when I'm a man, you get there an hour early. <laughs> and so to kill some time, we went to a mall. If they had done an income check at the door, we'd never gotten that mall. <laughs> an expensive mall. When there are armed guards in front of stores, <laughs> there's some expensive product in those stores. So we're going by these places quickly. And we stopped at one for a moment, and Brenda saw, she said it was a purse. Looked like the size of a wallet to me. I said, well, let's go see what it costs. And she kind of laughed at me like, yeah, right. So I peeked at the price tag. I thought, man, <laughs> that's an expensive purchase. 
you're saved, I can say that about you right there. <laughs> you're an expensive purchase. We love Jim and Susie. Jim, you were bought with a crazy price. <laughs> it was outrageous. It was over the top. Brother, you're an expensive purchase by God. Susan, my dear sister, boy, the adoption fees God paid for the honor of adopting you into his family was just outrageous adoption fees. Amen? You and I as children of God are really expensive purchases. There was a price tag attached to our eternal soul. I was like, are you kidding me? And we could have never paid it on our own. It was over the top and outrageous and unreasonable. But God said, I'll pay it. I'm not going to bargain it down. I'm not going to wait for the price to drop. It can't. He said, I'll accept that price. And Christ said, I will volunteer to come and pay that price. You and I are expensive purchases made by God. Jesus said, it's not enough that you remember that I died. Christ says, I want you to remember the details of how I died. Reminds us how much God loves us. Amen? Reminds us how much God desires to walk through this life with us. Highs and the lows, the good days and the bad. Bad. Reminds us of how much Jesus Christ is looking forward to spend eternity with us. And we finally get to the title of the message. And that is the good <laughs> and good friend. Bow your heads. I want to invite you. I'm going to give you a few moments to do this twofold prayer. Here's the first prayer. Here's what it is. God, thank you for purchasing me. God, thank you. Thank you for purchasing me. about 35 minutes ago, we prayed. And you asked God to speak to you personally. Here's the second part of that prayer. God, I heard you. And I will honor what you said to my heart. God, thank you.
Thank you for purchasing. And God, I heard you. You spoke to my heart. I heard you. I'll honor what you said. Father, I would confess to you that most of my prayers revolve around my neediness. My choices, my poor choices, how much I need you. Father, tonight, may our prayers be that of gratitude. Just Father, thank you for purchasing us. Father, thank you when I was 15. <laughs> it all came together that you purchased me. Thank you, Father, for just accepting the high price tag. Jesus, thank you for volunteering to come. You allowed yourself to be scourged. Thank you for allowing yourself to be arrested. Thank you for sitting through through just silly trials. Thank you for allowing yourself to be publicly humiliated. Father, thank you for volunteering to come. And Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing that together in my life at some point. Father, it took a lot to purchase me. And you did. And I am so profoundly grateful. Father, may the gratitude in this room right now be a sweet smelling savor to you. Father, help us not just to Remember this on Good Friday, but every day. May we be filled with the gratitude, not just that you died for us, but remembering how you died for us. For that floods our heart with gratitude, and that is always a good thing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.